Hello and welcome to Chairside, conversations about careers in dentistry. This podcast series from the British Dental Association and sponsored by BDJ Jobs explores the unlimited, unexpected and maybe even unknown opportunities that qualifying as a dentist opens up to you. I'm Andrea Ogden, a general dental practitioner and the BDA's undergraduate and career development lead. In each episode, I'll be joined by dental professionals who discuss their journey and the path they took that changed the course of their career. Today, we're talking about starting a business. When we're still undergraduates, many of us may dream of becoming practice owners, but the skills required to start and manage a business are not taught at dental school. So how do people do it? And when should you make that leap? And does it even have to be a practice? Are there other business opportunities within the industry outside of practice ownership? Joining us today are three very different but equally knowledgeable business owners. Welcome Lauren Harry, Jin Vigela and Hannah Burrow. Lauren qualified from Cardiff in 2009 and has been a practice owner since 2017. Jin graduated in 2008 from GKT and currently owns 10 dental practices as part of the Smile Clinic Group, of which he is a co-founder. And Hannah graduated from Bristol in 2014 and is now a dental entrepreneur and creator of Kuroku, a tool designed to improve the working lives of dentists across the world. Welcome to you all. I'm really looking forward to delving into your stories. So let's get down to business. Lauren, you became a practice owner eight years after graduation, during which time you were an associate. Now, owning your own practice is a significant amount of additional workload and responsibility on top of your clinical work. So why did you want to make that leap? Really, I wanted to work in an environment that um, suited my life, that was a little bit more flexible. um, And I wanted to create an environment that I had a little bit con- more control over um, so that I could make the practice some way that I wanted to treat the patients and that um, the types of patients that I wanted to treat would be happy to come. Um, and yeah, sort of just really focus on the, the type of dentistry that I wanted to provide rather than providing the sort of dentistry that you know, somebody else wanted to provide. I really enjoyed working at all the different practices that I was at as an associate. Um, so it wasn't that there was a problem. It was just that I wanted to like pick and choose the best bits. I think that's a really interesting point. Um, now, when you decided to buy that um, practice, I and mean, correct me if I'm wrong, you had two children under the age of six and you were pregnant. So you had another child on the way. Yeah. So, I mean, that seems like a, a really busy time to look at starting that first practice why was it that you waited and didn't buy a practice sort of straight after graduation and then obviously did it at you know what was clearly a very busy time for you so the timing was it wasn't perfect and it's very similar to you know when when you're having a baby people say oh it's never the right time to have a baby um I think that it just it just sort of fell that way. So the gentleman that uh, I was working for at the time, the the principal dentist, he was um, looking to retire and he really wanted to leave the practice in the hands of somebody that he could trust. Um, So we'd been working together for a couple of years by then. um, And, you know, we have 
similar values in the way that we like to treat the patients. So I think that, um, you know, it just made sense that I would be the one taking over the practice. Um, and the reason I didn't want to do it straight away after university was that I wanted to feel that my clinical skills were of a sufficient level that I didn't have to be constantly thinking about my clinical stuff as well as the business side of things because they are two very different roles and I felt that I wouldn't be able to juggle both um, adequately so quickly after uni. Um, there are people who do it and they're amazing but I wouldn't have been able to. So what was it that kind of gave you the confidence to do it when you did it? Uh, I didn't have the confidence, to be honest, Andrea. I was sort of, um, it was just a now or never sort of thing. Well, perhaps not now or never, but now or wait a long time or move practices and do it. And I didn't want to. The patient cohort that I treat now, um, I really love those patients and I didn't want to move areas. Um, I'd been in the practice for, as I say, a couple of years by then and um, I'd invested a lot of um you know time and emotion into those patients and I didn't want to have to you know see the practice go to somebody else and then me move on to buy a practice later on because I did always I knew that I wanted to buy a practice um so I didn't want to feel that I had wasted that time I think you know that's really fortunate that you were able to be in that position to to find that practice and you didn't have to go and search for an unknown on the open market, like a, a lot of people do, you know, you knew the practice, you knew the, the patients. I think what's really remarkable about your journey is that you did it entirely on your own. You didn't have a business partner that was doing it with you. Um, and I, I mean, I can't imagine what that must have been like to do that, not only on your own, but obviously with the responsibilities of children and being pregnant. Do you, you said, you, you know, you, you didn't feel that you were ready for it but was it what you expected was it harder than you expected yeah I mean in a lot of ways I I thought that I was ready for it so you know once the conversations were coming up um like when I went to the practice I knew that retirement wasn't too far away for the principal that I was working for um so I'd sort of you know we'd always talked about it and I'd been sort of trying to prepare myself and um trying to sort of look at what it takes to run a practice every day um, and I thought I was ready and then I took over and found that there is so much more to think about when you actually do take the leap and everyone's looking to you for that you know you're the one who's got ultimate responsibility so I think that that is a really steep learning curve and that first year or so is real tough um, and you I think for me it was sort of thinking you know all these girls that work there, all the nurses, they rely on me now. And if anything happens to me or if I do something wrong, then they will suffer. Um, and I think that was a big responsibility to take on. Um, one that I had sort of, I vaguely thought of it before, but it, you know, like reality doesn't necessarily hit until it hits. Um, and I had this just epiphany the one day driving home. I was like, oh my God they are all completely relying on me now and I've got to make sure that I do everything to look after them, you know, just as much as I would look after my family. Yeah, that's a huge responsibility. And I think you're right. 
I think it's probably not one of the things that you think about until perhaps you're in it. So that first year, what were the hardest things that you found or what was the steepest learning curve? Uh, for me, it was negotiating um, or, or navigating um, dealing with the NHS contracts um, and the local health boards. Um, we've got a good relationship now. I've put a lot of work and effort into that relationship, but uh, that first year was quite difficult. We had a clawback. Um, so I think the one month we had something like £9,000 in the account that I had to pay everybody with, pay all the bills with, you know, and it was just like a fraction of the running costs. And when I look back to where we were then, to where we were then, to like to where we are now, just I don't always know how we got through it. But as scary as that must have been, you did get through it. And I hope you'd say it's been worth it. Oh yeah, 100% worth it. Um, there are some days that, you know, I know that we've spoken before and I know I said to you there are some days I think I'd sell it all tomorrow, but um, I know I wouldn't really because, you know, I do, I love doing what I do. And that's what's really important, isn't it? That you love what you do, which brings me nicely to Jin. Now, Jin, you're the clinical director of the Smile Group, and you currently own 10 practices and 250 staff. That's right, Andrea. Firstly, thank you for having me on, and thank you to BDA. I think just listening to Lauren there, I think the true heroes uh, in the dental practice principal area are the guys who own it on themselves. I'm quite fortunate I've got a team. Would I be able to do this alone? Absolutely no way. And I think uh, listening to Lauren's story, uh, I've got admiration for those who do it alone. And one thing that struck a chord was take the leap. I think you, you will never be ready. If you're waiting for all your stars to align and have all the skills in the world, it'll never happen. So I think uh, that just struck a chord with me what Lauren said, take the leap, which is uh, fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. It takes real courage and bravery to do that. Now, Jin, you actually started looking for practices in your foundation year um, and you bought your first practice soon after that with one of your mentors. How did you meet that mentor and what support did they make you to, to have they give you to help you make such a big leap? Yeah, so I mean, look, the, the story is quite a funny one. My sort of story started when I failed. So a lot of guys are looking at us in the smile team and you guys are doing well. I'm like, it never started like that. I remember being at King's College London, uh, where Andrea, you were as well. And uh, it was final year, you know, summer, just finished finals and the results had come out at New Hunt's house. And uh, all 200 of us went to the board to look for our names. So I'm there looking for my name on the board. It's not there. And I can hear someone shout across the hall, Jin, your name's here. Come down here. I thought I made it. I thought, you know, I've, I've become so great. They've given me a distinction. I'm on a special board. When running down the hall to your other board, and I was on the failure list. I actually failed my finals, along with another 20 of us who failed. And uh, on that list, was also my best mate and business partner, uh, Kish, who runs a smile with me. So both of us uh, failed. He will still say he, I dragged him down. Um, I know he was more of a straight A student. I was more of a party animal back at university. And that's when things really changed because uh, back then, as an FT, you actually had your job lined up for the summer. I lost that job. Did an extended six-month degree, which wasn't voluntary. Uh, and I had to apply for a new job. Uh, and a new FD position. 
And that is where I met my mentor uh, on the London Deanery as well. And meeting my mentor, that is what put me in the right path. I think you can have all the skills in the world, but finding that right person who will channel your energy in the right way was what happened to me. And my FD uh, really shaped me up. So did you already want to buy a practice or was it your mentor that introduced you to that idea? I think even as an undergrad, I knew I wanted to do own practices because work experience was so great and I saw what we could do. So I had a very clear vision, but then finding my mentor who was already on that path, he owned, you know, four practices, uh, doing a bit of lecturing, you know, uh, special interest in restorative and implants. So I sort of saw me going down that path. So I had the right support network around me uh, that allowed me to sort of look at the practices. And that's how it happened. I uh, bought the first one six months after FD training. Wow. So you're, because your mentor already owned four practices already and you were buying into a practice with your mentor, did that mean that the skills that you needed to look at business ownership and managing staff in a business was that something that you learned on the job because you had somebody that was there doing it already? A hundred percent. I had lots of energy. I mean, I remember the bank manager coming to the practice. Uh, I could hear him climbing up the steps of stairs, comes in a three-piece suit, and he goes to me, ah, Dr. Vigela, welcome. Uh, we're looking at the rates. Would you like a fixed rate or a variable rate? And I looked across at Kish, I go, I don't know what he's talking about. Where do I sign? <laughs> and that's how raw I was back then, uh, looking at the finance. But having a mentor there who was already doing it, gave me the opportunity to really flourish and sort of learn on the job. And uh, the energy I had sort of, you know, we used it in the practices, building the right culture, the right ethos as well. And we just grown it from since then. Yeah. And, and the confidence, I suppose, the fact that you could take these risks, you could have gaps in your knowledge, whether it's about fixed or variable rates, because you knew that somebody was going to be there to put you straight if things, if things went not to, so well to plan. 100% agree. I mean, where I believe, look, I mean, uh, where I've got skills in certain parts of dentistry and the business side, other members of the team bring other skills and a new skill set aboard. And together, uh, the team gets stronger. And I think that's been fantastic to see that. And especially where the more experienced guys are, they have quite a strong network already with the business aspect and the finances and the management. So that worked out quite well as well. That's excellent. So when was it after buying that first practice that you decided to go and buy a second practice? And what is it that's driven you to keep expanding? I think from very early on, uh, I had a clear vision along with uh, the other guys where we wanted to own multiple practices. And when we had got the first practice, looking the part, working the part, we knew management side of it and we knew dentistry we had a very clear vision of how to go forward. So the most important thing was clear sights of where we want to achieve, uh, making sure we had the right team around us. And, and meaning my team, you know, uh, the right managers, the right uh, staff members. And that allowed us to grow fairly quick with what we wanted to do. Um, one thing which was important to us was we still wanted to keep on learning clinically as well. And I know Lauren was saying, trying to balance the whole clinical and management uh, owning practice is super difficult. Uh, even during the last 10 years, uh, I had three kids trying to balance all that family life. So there's a lot going on, but I think having a group of us working together allowed us to sort of achieve that a bit better. So we made sure clinically, we know we're still learning, 
still going on courses, still getting our uh, you know, masters done at the Eastman. So that way we know dentistry. So even when our teams look at us, they're not seeing us as guys, you know, uh, with a number of practices. We actually know the clinical side, which I think is super important uh, for dentists at this age. Did you have any role models or any kind of business models that you saw before you had that kind of vision of your own that you thought, yeah, that's what I want to do, or you modeled yourself on that? I was quite fortunate during my FD year, a lot of conferences happening. I know we're all missing them at the moment. It gave you an opportunity to rub shoulders with a lot of the corporates. And back then, a lot of the big corporates were quite smaller corporates. Uh, And again, they're all approachable. And we saw how they were working. Uh, and all doing fantastic things. And that's when I looked at them, I thought, you know, we can do the same thing. We can achieve a very similar result, if not go a bit better, because one thing we know, all of us, even in this group here, we know dentistry inside out. We not, might not be financially trained or done, you know, MBAs, but we know dentistry. We know patients, we know patient care. So based on that, we realized, look, we've got something here which we can do even more. And the more you keep on learning within dentistry and developing your skills, technology, uh, which Hannah and the team are doing, I think is super important uh, for our career. I completely agree. And I mean, one thing that when you look at certainly other corporates or people whose businesses have gone through rapid expansion, particularly in the number of practices that they own, one thing we tend to see is that actually they shy away from the clinical dentistry and they go more into business management, people management. But that's not what you've been doing. You've obviously maintained a clinical aspect to your job. Why is it that that's been important to you? I think the main thing is you can relate to your teams and your associates, your nurses, so you know what they're going through. I mean, I still work on the NHS, which some people find uh, astonishing. I still work there because I want to relate to the teams uh, and they can understand what we're going through. Plus, when you're teaching and educating your uh teams as well that way they're growing together so i think an important part is educating the associates and allowing them to grow along with the nursing team the reception team if you can put the energy and time into growing your own teams on the flip side the business way the the money and the success will come and i suppose continuing the learning keeps it interesting keeps it inspiring for you 100 percent. i think the learning never stops uh i think when you feel like you know it all you know nothing at all and with dentistry, things are changing so much. I mean, when we qualified uh, nearly over 10 years ago, longer than that, I think, yeah, <laughs> over 10 years ago, uh, the way we used to manage caries and what we've got taught, totally different now. Even what we learned back at the Eastman seven, eight years ago, things are rapidly developing with new technology and you need to be adapting. Uh, so that way you're giving the very best to your patients, but also allows the practices to grow as well. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. I mean, you certainly need to keep doing what keeps you inspired and, and also feeling confident. And actually, that leads me on very nicely to talk to Hannah. Hannah, if I can quickly recap your story. You qualified from Bristol in 2014. And after your foundation training, you did a DCT post in public health. And then after only six months as an associate, you were accepted onto an accelerator program, Entrepreneur First. And it was with Entrepreneur First that you co-developed Kuroku, a software for dentists that streamlines and improves the quality of clinical records and makes writing clinical notes easier. And through that program, you received funding, mentors, and you're now a full-time entrepreneur. So 
when did you start looking at how technology could be used to improve dentist workload? So firstly, thank you for having me. Um, and it was great to hear both of your guys' stories. Um, super inspiring. I feel like to summarise uh, what we've done, it's jump in, you learn on the job. Um, but to answer your question, when I first started exploring technology, um, I don't come from a family of doctors and dentists. I come from a family of programmers and uh, designers. So I, I knew enough about technology to kind of always approach dentistry from perhaps a slightly different angle. And the first time I started, I didn't even think about it as technology. I just thought about it as an inefficiency in dentistry initially. And so the first time it kind of even started as a thought in my mind. I was at dental school, I was working, um, I was uh, working on the oral surgery clinic and I had a patient say to me, why am I here having my teeth out? I have gone to the dentist every six months of my entire life and I've done everything I've been told. Why am I here? And it was just such an interesting moment because it made me realize that over the course of this man's life, he had received very inconsistent dental advice and perhaps not always been given the information that he should have been. And I don't blame the dentist on that route because perhaps they weren't incentivized, not provided the time to do those things in a consistent way. And so that started me thinking about, okay, well, surely we can apply and again, technology probably wasn't the word in my mind there, but um, what can we do to make this more efficient so that people are receiving really consistent, you know, good quality advice and so that they, if they have that interest in improving what they're doing, they can do. Um, and so that was kind of the initial thought. And so in my VT year, I created what was essentially a PowerPoint, but it looked like it was an app and it had, you know, buttons they could click through. And it was a way of giving really consistent, you know, post-operative instructions, follow-up advice, uh, risks of RCT, let's say. And so as I was typing up my notes, my patients would be able to view this app as they saw it. And they were then able to give feedback about how they were perceiving that information. Um, and yeah, that, that was kind of the, the first thing I did to explore applying technology, I suppose, to, to dentistry. I think that's incredibly unique. So I think, you know, not everybody sees problems in that way. I mean, let alone identifies the problem and then thinks about, you know, how can they come up with a solution? When was it in your journey that you think you started thinking in that way? I think, as I said, it must have been, like earlier than my DCT year because I was kind of exploring the idea mentally and I remember kind of working stuff out but it wasn't until my DCT year that um, I, as, as you said I did public health and I think that made me think or rather, it became something that wasn't just worth me kind of mulling over. It became something I wanted to explore because in doing public health, it made you think in a more sort of population level. OK, what can I change that is going to affect multiple people? So, you know, whether that's a fluoride program for a school, that's kind of one approach to it. But it just made me think, OK, there's something that there is a change you can make that it affects a larger uh, group of people. And I think that probably tied in well with my exploration of technology and those two things came together. So with that kind of initial idea that you had, you applied for entrepreneur first and got accepted onto an accelerator program. Now, 
I suppose many people won't even know what Entrepreneur First is or have the courage to apply for it. How was it that you found out about it? So like really quite random, actually. It was a friend from school who was a programmer and he had, um, I think he'd actually been offered this program and actually didn't go ahead with it in the end. But that was the first time I heard about um, EF. And over that DCT year where I was kind of starting to explore technology as applied to dentistry, I just had no route to know how to go further with that because obviously as a clinician, we don't, we're not exposed to startups and funding and all of that stuff. So I was going to health tech talks almost, you know, several evenings a week. And I was kind of being exposed to doctors who'd started businesses and, you know, created uh, a camera lens that can scan retinas in third world countries and things like that, that was super inspiring. But it just started giving me that kind of um, exposure to the startup world. And I think that was enough to kind of understand, okay, an accelerator program is something I could do. Um, But certainly I I personally still, having come from a a background like dentistry, I still had to go, I I felt like the best route for me was through an accelerator program where they could provide me mentorship, networks to investors, um, guidance from people who've exited technology companies before. Um, And so that was kind of the route to how I got to EF. And then my application process was, I mean, kind of random. I think I sent off an application, never thinking anything would come of it. There was no mention of, you know, them taking doctors, dentists, anything like that. I suppose with each stage of the uh, application process, I got more and more invested into it. So once I got the offer, it was something that, that, that felt like a no-brainer. So in terms of the skills that you've needed to have the startup, to run a business, to manage mm-hmm. staff, when did you get taught those skills or was something that that had you had to learn on the job so ef is actually a this is very niche information but ef is a really kind of unique accelerator program in that a lot a lot of accelerators um for example techstars take a fledgling business and they provide their network to you know venture capitalists and things like that and and you can scale a very early business ef is different because they take individuals and they put they throw 80 like you know really interesting people in a room and they just say okay figure figure out and i think the most um impressive or interesting thing they do is they create a culture of failing fast so they just say okay you need to they encourage you to kind of work together figure out a business, figure out whether there is a market that would be um, benefiting from that, what you want to build. And they teach you just to kind of explore and if it doesn't work to stop. Um, and so they did that, but they also, I suppose structurally, they provide check-ins with a mentor who can just guide you through exploring a business idea. Um, and then as, as you said, they, they connect you with investment so that when, if, if they believe in you as a company, you've got the money to, to build out that business that's amazing I mean what an incredible opportunity to to be part of a program like that has being part of that program changed the way that you imagined your career would be as a student was it something Uh, that you always envisaged that you'd do no I like I did not think I thought I was going to be a dentist so this is as shocking for me as it is for anyone else I 
I'm not the type of person that has personal five-year goals. I'm just, I've never been that person. I mean, now as a business, obviously we have to do that for the business. Um, but I was exploring obviously technology and then um, public health got me on the kind of grander scale of things. But um, yeah, I, I didn't expect, I didn't expect to be running a business four years after starting it, I thought I would start this program and I would learn something incredible and I'd be exposed to people that I wouldn't be exposed to. And another part of my decision was, if I don't do it now, I'm going to get used to the salary of being a dentist and then I'm never going to have a choice not to do this. So whilst I don't have any financial dependencies, I'm going to give it a go. And if it fails and, you know, no, no problem, I will go back to being a dentist. And I mean, I said this to you, Andrea, um, last time we spoke, but no career is more fortunate than, than dentistry in that you can theoretically work two days a week and explore something else with your time. What other career allows you to do that, to give you that flexibility and that kind of um, backstop to look after you to explore things? So, um, yeah, uh, that's just something that, that I always think it always like gave me that confidence to try something different because I've always got dentistry to, to fall back on if needed. Yeah, I can, I completely agree. And dentistry just gives you so much flexibility and opportunity and such a safety net for you completely. to, you know, to be able to, to keep on doing clinical dentistry to have an income while you're pursuing other interests and, and passions and allows you to take those risks. I think that's, um, really quite unique about okay. having having a dental degree we spoke about this before but with um with the fact that dentistry gives you so much flexibility I know you said you were surprised that there weren't more dental entrepreneurs um the fact yeah. that you know for sure I mean you know it doesn't I mean my, my my business is very related to dentistry but it gives you that flexibility to have a kind of a portfolio of careers. You could be doing um, dentistry two days a week and something totally different if you wanted to. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's to each, to each person to kind of decide how they want to spend their time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe now people have, are listening to your story. I'm sure that uh, you'll definitely have started a trend, certainly of more and more people who <laughs> will sure be, <laughs> be interested in becoming dental entrepreneurs. Um, Jin, I'm um, just a question for you. I mean, I'm sure that you're often asked, you know, I mean, we're talking about Hannah starting her business, but in terms of people wanting to start their businesses, whether it's a practice or multi-corporate that they envisage, I'm sure you often get asked, you know, is there a magic monetary figure that you kind of need to have saved up or need to have access to before you get that first business loan? I mean, it's a good question. I get asked fairly often, uh, how much do we need? I mean, when I bought the first practice, keeping in mind it's over 10 years ago, we needed 10% deposit uh, with the banks. Now, obviously, things have changed. My main thing I would say to anyone looking is make sure you've got a clear reason why you want to do it and make sure it's not just for money. I mean, similar to Hannah's story and listen to Lauren, none of our stories about we want to go after money or own multiple practices or come up with the next uh, tech thing that's going to you know, make us millions. So it's never about the money. On the flip side, uh, you'll actually end up spending more energy and pumping money into it. So you need to make sure you are prepared for that as well. Uh, similar to Lauren saying, you know, with the clawback, we've had a couple of years of some 
significant amount of clawback uh, because, you know, we had dentists off on ill health, which you have no control over. So you need to be prepared for the worst case scenario. So never do it for the money. Have a clear reason why you want to do it. Some of our deals we've actually bought with no money and you can structure things in a quite creative way. Uh, and plus you can be quite creative in how you uh, do things as well. So just have a clear reason why you want to do it. Um, money shouldn't be the first thing on your mind. Yeah, I, com- I completely agree. And in terms of when you decided you were going to buy into the practice, did you have that 10% ready? Was that, was that there ready to go? Andrea, you know me well enough. I definitely did not have that 10%. That's the beauty with dentistry. I mean, if you want to earn a little bit more, work a couple more extra days. The flexibility is crazy with what you want to do. And at work a few Saturdays. So when we found out that, you know, six months after FD training, uh, I did X amount. I told uh, my boss at the time, mentor, open up Saturdays, I'm coming in. You know, like the Batman signal was up, Jim's coming in and we worked, you know, we worked late evenings till seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night, uh, providing the care. And it's a beautiful opportunity. If you want to make a little bit extra, you can do. So, and within a few months, four or five months before the, you know, it was before completion, had the money ready so that can be done. Uh, but, you know, in terms of how much you need, depends on what kind of practice you're looking at uh, and the different availability as well. Sure. I mean, I, I think we can often assume that there are potential barriers that might even seem unsurmountable. And I think, you know, your advice is that you know, there are always ways around it. There shouldn't be any reason to stop you doing it if that's what you really want to do. You've just got to do it for the right reasons. 100%. As long as it's legal and GDC is not on your case, um, anything can be done with the right team around you. Uh, I think what you've got to do is believe in yourself. Unfortunately, with this day and age, with social media, a lot of people will judge you. If you've got a great idea, go for it. And especially with anyone out there, you know, anyone in undergrads, young dentists, you might have a fantastic idea, such as, you know, Hannah's, uh, plan idea you might have a creative thing that can become something new in the future which every dental practice will have or in, in the tech industry which will make our lives easier so have you know confidence in what you want to do believe in it find the right people out there I think the beauty with social media you can reach out to a lot of dentists and entrepreneurs and, and connect with people who will be there to support you and grow with you Absolutely. I mean, Lauren, you overcame those barriers too when you became a practice owner. And I loved it when you said that you created an environment just not just where you wanted to work, but you wanted it's where you wanted your patients to be treated as well. And it gave you that level of control to be able to ensure that. If you could go back to, let's say, associate Lauren, what would be your advice that you would give to yourself before you embarked on this journey? Well, I think We've already said it a couple of times, really. Um, it's really, really important to surround yourself with the right people. Um, people who can share your vision and where you want to go. Um, and they can get on board with it. Because there's not just one person running that whole practice. Um, I had a patient in today who's a cleaner in a hospital. And he said, you know, it's, it's crazy that the doctors and nurses talk to me about um, things that are going on with patients. I said, but you're part of the team. Like, it doesn't matter that they're a doctor and you're a cleaner. You're part of the team. You all are there to look after those patients. And it's the same in the practice, really. You know, from 
you know, receptionist to hygienist to principal dentist, you know, we, we're all there, supposedly there, looking after the patients and all sort of trying to do it all in the same manner. So I think that's my number one bit of advice really is to all share that vision. Um, and yeah, I think what Jim was saying, being on social media and things, it is harder these days. Um, and you, you do tend to worry a lot and you think, you know, what if somebody's looking at the way I'm doing this and they don't agree with the way I'm doing this? Um, but you know, you'll never, you'll never be everybody's cup of tea. Um, you know, you can only do the things that you think are right and, you know, just make sure that you're doing things in an ethical way. That means that you can go home and go to bed at night and have a good night's sleep thinking I did everything I could today um, to make everybody that works for me or comes to see me as a patient to make their life better. I think that's such inspiring advice. I think as, you know, as Jin has said, you're not doing it for the money, you're doing it for the reasons for your working environment, the people that uh, you're responsible for their working environment and for your patients as well. And, you know, you can only, as long as your vision and your ethos and your values are in the right place, then you've just got to be true to yourself. I think, you know, I'll echo it again, do not do it for the money. Um, because the first couple of years, there is no money. You know, you've got to be prepared that you're going to be driving around in a banger and going on like much cheaper holidays and things like that. But it's, it's the, the difference in your quality of life. And sometimes when running the practice becomes stressful. So, you know, there were parts during this pandemic when it was really, really stressful. And you think, oh gosh, you know, I don't have a great quality of life at the moment. Um, you know, it's balancing the good times with the bad. Um, and it's, you know, looking towards that end goal. And, you know, hopefully it all pays off in the end. Yeah. Jin, what would you say to anyone that was in a similar position to you when you graduated that has similar aspirations i would say just go for it so don't think twice go for it reach out to anyone you want to our uh, profession there's some fantastic people out there who will support you find the right mentor i can't stress that whether whatever you want to do find your mentor and uh, our motto in the practice is epdp i know andrea's thinking you know i, I left fd training forget epdp but for us, it's energy, passion, dentistry, and party. And what that means is work hard, play hard. doesn't mean literally go out and party and get smashed. It's about get the balance of life right. I think the last year, COVID has shown all of us, dental profession, the whole world, why we were doing all this. Uh, make sure you've got the balance right with whatever you're doing. But my main thing is just go for it, 100% go for it. Yeah, I think that's fantastic advice it is about trying to get the balance but obviously when you've got so much additional pressure and responsibility on you I think that can that can be hard and challenging sometimes 100%. and Hannah given everything that you've learned about creating a startup what advice would you give to anyone who thinks they've got an idea that they'd like to develop into a product my advice um would be I mean, it's it's. I'm essentially echoing what Jim and Lauren have said. Um, it, I don't think it's that different if it's a startup or a business. It's you just need to kind of the the, the first thing you could, you need to make the first step basically and jump in 
and 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 specific to, to starting a sort of technology business i'd say the best thing you can do is speak to people you don't need to build anything complex you just need to do it and see how people respond to it um and and that's the best way to do it you know start as simply as you possibly can and go from there um so that's what i'd say specific to to start up but i mean otherwise i just echo the wisdom of, of jen and lauren which is surround yourself with people who know the things that you don't you know and and i wouldn't i would say do not shy away from what you don't know and so you can surround yourself with the people who know those things and can support you on your journey um and and in knowing what you don't know allow that to to as an opportunity to educate yourself on that thing as well don't shy away from what you don't know i love that that is such important advice for all of us and of course, the mantra we've all been repeating today is you've just got to take the leap. Like there really is no perfect time. Um, it's all been really inspiring. Um, thank you so much for joining me. What I've particularly loved from talking to you all is not just hearing about your fascinating journeys, but you've all made it so clear how unique dentistry is at providing a safety net to pursue something that you're passionate about. And the fact that it allows you to take risks. You've also shown the importance of surrounding yourself with really good people and, of course, holding on to that self-belief. I think often we can see many barriers to particularly starting a business, be it lack of knowledge and training or perhaps financial hurdles. But what you've all shown is that no matter your situation, they can all be overcome. And the opportunity and flexibility that dentistry provides helps to enable that. Lauren Harry, Jin Vigela and Hannah Burrow, thank you for joining me today. And good luck with all the exciting ventures that lay ahead. This is Chairside, Conversations on Careers in Dentistry, a podcast for the British Dental Association. If you like this episode, please check out the others in this series. And to find your perfect job in dentistry, head over to bdjjobs.com.